So tonight we're in our last of our series of Philippians. We've been doing it for quite, oh, there was an oh from the front row there. And that's how I feel, Nick, because Philippians is one of my favourite books. And it's not a long book, but we've been doing it for quite a few weeks now. And that's because there's so much richness and so much good things in there to, to take hold of and to apply to our lives. So we're looking at the last part of Philippians today. So if you've got your Bible and if not, the verses are going to come on the screen. We're looking at Philippians 4 verses 10 to 23. And we're looking at the secret of contentment. So we'll read the verses. So verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, know, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then the final greetings. Greet every saint in, Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, the end of the book of Philippians, and as with other passages that we've read over the last few weeks, there are loads of often quoted verses in this passage, and, uh, which is why it's really important to keep reminding ourselves of the context in which this has been written, so that we understand their true meaning, and we don't take these verses out of context. So, you've heard it said most times when someone's preached, Paul is in prison, and he's still in prison. He's still falsely accused, betrayed by his colleagues. He's still under that threat of execution. And yet he makes some incredibly bold statements here. Things he wants to convey to the Philippians. Secrets that he wants them to discover and know for themselves. He has learned the secret of contentment and he wants to pass it on to them. Who wouldn't want to know the secret of contentment? And last week, Nick spoke and he shared quite a few statistics regarding happiness and discontentment and happy contentment in the world today. So I'm not going to say all of those things again, but there was a survey that asked 700 people, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would that be? What do you think was the number one answer? Chocolate. Who said that? Chocolate, Simon. It wasn't chocolate. 
happiness. Happiness was the number one thing. The one thing people wanted more of in life was happiness. Contentment, according to the dictionary, is a state of happiness and satisfaction. That's what we all really want. The problem is we often look to things to give us contentment, but true contentment comes from within and not from outside. In the ancient world, there were cities, and you might have seen pictures or films where cities were built in different places, sometimes on hillsides, but those kind of fortified cities. And if an army wanted to attack a city, one of the ways that they would do it would be they would surround the whole city and cut off the external resources so that no food or water could get in and nobody from within the city could get out to get help. And the aim for doing that, surrounding the city, was to starve the inhabitants into surrender. But some cities were built in such a way that they were self-contained. They were called contented cities. They had their own water supply within their walls. They had their own food supply and the ability to keep producing food. They didn't need external resources, so it didn't matter what army lay siege outside their walls. Instead of being forced into submission, the inhabitants just carried on going and continued to thrive within. And it's the same picture that Paul wants to convey to us. It's the same picture that can apply to us as Christians. God wants us to know a contentment within. It doesn't mean that we don't go through difficult times. Life brings all sorts of circumstances that can feel like we're being attacked from the outside. But God wants us to know a contentment that means that we don't get defeated when that happens, where we can be independent of external circumstances to make us happy. So, what is the opposite of contentment? Very good. Bright bunch. Yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick has got a master, so I expected him to answer that. Discontentment or dissatisfaction or unhappiness. But what about covetous? Mm, there we are, it's got you thinking. When we covet something, we're not satisfied with what we have. And we're looking and we're saying we're wanting more. If we're content, then we're content with what we have. But when we're coveting things, we're, we're, we're wanting more of things. And discontentment is a dangerous thing because it's going to steal satisfaction from your life. Because what it does is it causes us to seek after the wrong things to make us happy. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Because they were discontent. Or rather, they weren't content with what they had. They were in paradise. God had given them everything. There was just one tree that they couldn't eat from, but they didn't need to. They had everything they needed and more, but they weren't content with what God had given them. So because of discontentment, they lost their place in the Garden of Eden and they plunged the human race into sin. So if we go back to the passage and we look at verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. One of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter uh, was that the Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, with a financial gift to support Paul while he was in prison. And Paul states that he rejoiced in the gift that they had sent him. But straight after he says that, immediately in verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. In other words, Paul doesn't want them to misunderstand what he's saying. He's rejoicing that they've given him a gift, but he wants to reinforce that he wants them to know that his joy comes from his contentment and not in the gift that he's received. He doesn't want them to think that he's been pacing up and down, waiting for the postman to come day after day, desperate for their gift to arrive. His joy is not out of his need being met because he goes on to say, I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. His contentment did not lie in a particular thing or how much he had or didn't have. Paul was not rejoicing in the gift itself. His joy came from his contentment. And in verse 18, it says, The gift was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he's really acknowledging that their gift had cost the Philippians. It was a financial gift that they'd given and that this gift was pleasing to God. God was pleased because it was a sign of their spiritual maturity. It was a sign that they were growing in the things of God. And he rejoiced in their faith, in their growth of their faith and their maturity. And his rejoicing was in that and not in what they could do for him. His contentment was not based on receiving the gift because if he hadn't have received it, it wouldn't have changed Paul's contentment. I want to ask you a question and you, you don't have to answer this one out loud. But what is your joy based on? Often the source of our hope is things. And they're not always bad things, often quite good things. And it's good to enjoy the things we do, and that's a gift from God. But that if that is the source of our joy, what happens when we don't do it anymore? Do we lose our joy? Do we lose our contentment? Some people thrive for the perfect life, and their definition of the perfect life could, could um, encompass all sorts of things. But if you can't experience joy unless everything in your life is perfect... If you need success to make you happy, if you are waiting for something you don't have to make you happy, you haven't yet learnt to be content. Paul had learnt the secret of being content. And learning is very different to hearing. We can hear truths week after week on a Sunday morning, but that doesn't always mean that we have learnt them. I'm a deputy head, and one of my responsibilities is to um, review the impact of teaching and learning. So different stages in the year review how much children have learned. And uh, I often have teachers saying to me, well, you know, I have taught them that. And my reply is always, well, you may have taught them, but have they understood? The two different things. 
And until they've learned it, you need to keep on teaching it. And so throughout this letter, Paul has been telling the Philippians that it was his relationship with Jesus that transformed his life. That knowing Jesus' presence with him through all his circumstances and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, that's what gave him hope and strength to face each day. It's there right through the book of Philippians. And now at the end of the letter, Paul is reaffirming all he has said. He wants them not just to hear it, but to understand it and know these truths, not just in their heads, but to know the same reality that he'd come to understand. He wanted them to know that same reality in their lives. He's telling the Philippians that he has learnt to be content in every and any situation. So how did Paul learn this thing? How did he learn this contentment? Well, he learnt it through the experiences that he went through. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Through his experiences, Paul had learnt through being in need and in plenty, through experiencing times of abundance of being well fed and times of being hungry. Sometimes he had more than he needed and other times he didn't have enough. But what he discovered through these experiences that having everything didn't add anything to his life and having nothing didn't take anything away. Now, this is a so contrary to our worldview that, you know, sometimes we can have difficulty embracing it. We might think, oh, that's what Paul learned, that's what Paul understood, but applying it for ourselves, having everything didn't add anything to his life, and having nothing didn't take anything away. The world says that we find contentment by increasing our possessions, but Paul said he was neither enhanced by riches nor diminished by poverty, because his contentment was not based on external things. Paul says that he learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And in the NIV translation, it says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. A secret is something that not everybody knows. It's something to be discovered. So what was the secret of contentment that Paul learned? Well, if we look at verse 13, Paul goes on to make this very bold statement. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. And this is one of those verses that's often uh, misunderstood. And uh, if you go to a Christian conference or something, you can buy a mug with this verse on or a coffee coaster or something like that. And, uh, and it, what, what it's saying is it's, um, it's not saying that you can do anything you want to do. People often quote it in that way. It's not saying God will bless everything you do. I might say I'd like to be in the Olympics and I'd like to run the four-minute mile. 
And I can run a four-minute mile through Christ who strengthens me. But that is not going to happen. Because Tony will tell you that I can even run for four minutes, let alone a mile. So we need to understand the context of the letter. And what Paul's saying is God will strengthen you in whatever circumstance you face. It means you can go through different situations and not be crushed. If you think of the coastline and you imagine one of those rugged coastlines, rugged cliffs uh, um, by the sea, and you imagine a huge rock that gets bashed by waves. Sometimes the waves are so big that they engulf the rock and, and for a time you can't see it anymore. But when the waves subside, the rock is still there unmoved, unshakable, and firmly rooted. And when circumstances come our way that threaten to overwhelm us and engulf us, it is through Christ who strengthens us that we can stand and not be crushed. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul had learned that contentment comes through Jesus. He was able to face difficult circumstances, difficult situations, because Jesus infused him with his supernatural strength. It was not to do with Paul's personality or the fact that Paul had developed this amazing resilience of his own. And it's really important that we grasp this because it's really easy when we read some of Paul's letters to kind of put him on a pedestal and say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. And, and we kind of think that he was unique in his relationship and that he had a special anointing and that made him, that gave him his contentment. And, and so we, we kind of then say, well, that's Paul, but I'm not like him. He's unique. I can't be like that. But Paul said, it's not about him. It's all about Jesus. He didn't do it through his own strength. He's so clear. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's only through Jesus. Paul didn't get by by implementing self-help techniques, as the world will tell us, or fulfilling a to-do list or a list of do's or don'ts. It was grounded and rooted in his relationship with Jesus. Being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not about formulas or principles. Because if we go back to the Gospels, if we look at what Jesus taught, he only ever offered himself to people. In John 14 verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was really clear, it's me you come to. And in John 10 verse 10, he said, I came that they may have life and life in all its abundance. Matthew 11 verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It wasn't... Do this, do that, and then do this, and you'll get rest. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus called people to himself and not to a set of rules or processes. He called Paul to himself 
And Paul developed a rich relationship with Jesus that motivated him and sustained him. Because Jesus is the one who brings life, strength and comfort. It is all about our relationship with him and knowing him. It was Jesus Christ who strengthened Paul in his inner being. And it is Jesus Christ who wants to do the same in us today. Paul said, in all things, not just easy things, all things includes hard things. And it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that a contented life or a happy life means no more problems. But God never promised us an easy life. In fact, the Bible tells us that we will go through difficult times But he does promise, God does promise that he will be with us through those times. He will be with us in every circumstance. If you think of the rock on the coast, some days the sea is peaceful and calm and just so beautiful and tranquil. But most days there's a swell and the waves will lap around the base of the rock. But then the seasons change And sometimes the storms come. And when they do, the waves get larger. And sometimes they can be unrelenting. But the rock is not broken and crushed. When the waves eventually subside, if there are any changes caused by the waves, it's just a refining of the sharp edges and a polishing of the rock face. In Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God uses those waves to work for good for those that love him. As he changes us to be conformed to the image of his son. Never crushed, but he smooths those rough edges to make us more like Jesus. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whatever the circumstance, in any and every circumstance, I can do those things. I can be brought low and devastated. I can abound or be without. I can go through all these situations and know a peace and contentment regardless of my circumstances through the power of Jesus at work in my life. That's what Paul was saying. That was the message that Paul wanted to convey to the Philippians. How did he do it? Well, Paul's experiences had meant that he had to rely on Jesus. And when he relied on Jesus, that's where he discovered that Jesus was enough. Paul learnt that in every circumstance he found strength through his relationship with Jesus. I guess there's few of us that can say that we've experienced contentment in all our circumstances. But Paul said that he had learnt the secret. It was not imparted to him. He'd learnt to be content when he had a little and when he had a lot. Paul had learnt the secret. It didn't come naturally to him 
and it doesn't come naturally to us either. But the good news is that if it's something to be learned, if Paul learnt it, that means we can learn it too. Paul learnt it through his experience. He went through shipwrecks, people vowing to kill him. He was in prison, isolation. He had threats of execution. And I guess for us, we're not likely to face shipwrecks. But there are circumstances that we go through that can feel a bit like a shipwreck in our lives. Sometimes we can go through loss that is so painful, especially when it's somebody very close to us, whether it's a person or, or it could even be our health. It feels like we've been shipwrecked. We're unlikely to be in prison for our faith, but we can find ourselves in situations where we're isolated We find ourselves on our own dealing with situations. We may not have people threatening to kill us, but we can quite often find ourselves in situations when we're misunderstood or misrepresented or have people saying things against us. We might even encounter backlash because we've stepped out in faith and said something about Jesus and others haven't liked what we said. Or there may be other situations that you have or are going through right now. Our circumstances might be different to the ones Paul experienced, but they are no less significant. Through his experience, Paul learned the things that he wrote down in this letter. And chapter 4 of Philippians is, is not a very long chapter, but we've kind of spent three weeks covering it. And that's because there's so much amazing truth that we wanted to communicate and we didn't want to just do it in one evening. But it's important not to see the verses in isolation, but to look at them together and to see the links that Paul is making. So in verse 6, he tells us not to be anxious about anything. We all get anxious. We all have concerns and worries. And Paul faced many difficult situations. And uh, sometimes we can kind of get this picture in our mind that, you know, Paul just kind of sailed through life. He went through these difficult times. He went through shipwrecks, but he just sailed through it and it didn't ruffle any feathers. But that's not true either. Acts 18 verse 9 says, God spoke to Paul one night in a vision. He said, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Why would God appear to Paul in a vision in the middle of the night and tell him not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. There are times when we will all be afraid. Circumstances will be outside of our control and threaten to overwhelm us. But it's what we do in those circumstances when those fears come that is key. We need to learn to give them to God, thanking God for the truth of his promises. And as verse 8 tells us, and, and Nick reminded us last week, we need to fix our minds on what is true and honourable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, what is excellent and worthy of praise. What can we fix our minds on that meets all that criteria? Jesus. 
Jesus is true. He's honourable. He's just. He's pure. He's lovely. He's commendable. He's excellent. And he is worthy of praise. There's a quote from uh, Tim Keller. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really come to earth, die for you, rise again and pass through the heavens to the right hand of God? Did he endure infinite suffering for you so that someday he could take you to himself and wipe away every tear from your eyes? If so, then there is all the comfort in the world. If not, if none of these things are true, then we may be stuck here for 70 or 80 years until we perish. And the only happiness we will ever know in this life is in this life. And if some trouble or suffering takes that happiness away, well, you've lost it forever. Either Jesus is on the throne, ruling all things for you, or this is as good as it gets. It's a kind of blunt, to the point quote. But what Tim Keller is saying is know what Jesus has done for you. Remind yourselves of the truth of the gospel. Because if this is true, then regardless of what we may go through, these truths stay true. Our circumstances cannot and do not change them. If Jesus is on the throne and ruling, he's ruling regardless of whether life is going well or not so well. It's easy to say God is good when our prayers have been answered the way we hoped for. But the truth is, God is good when our prayers aren't. God is good. God is not subject to our feelings or circumstances. God is good. And God is God. And that's who he is. And our circumstances don't change that. We're loved, we're accepted, we're chosen, we're forgiven, we're adopted into his family. And this status is not changed by any of life's circumstances. These are the constants in our lives. When we remind ourselves daily of these truths, things that cannot be taken away, we have hope regardless of what else may be happening. We're like that city that is self-sufficient. These unchangeable truths are our water and food supply that keep us nourished. When things go wrong and when we lose our peace, it's easy to think, well, maybe God's punishing us. But this isn't true. We just have to look to Jesus. We just have to look to the cross to remind ourselves that Jesus took our punishment, the punishment that was ours, so that we might be reconciled to God. Or we can be tempted to believe the lie that God doesn't care. Again, if we look to Jesus on the cross, Jesus gave up everything to come to earth, to live as a man and die for us. He cares for us more than we can comprehend. Suffering is real, and we don't go through life without it. Contentment is not the absence of difficulties in our lives, but it's the ability to withstand and keep going through them, holding on to something that is unchangeable. 
Augustine, a famous Christian and philosopher in the fourth century said, only the love of the immutable can bring tranquility. Immutable means something or someone that cannot change. That's God. There is only one love that will not disappoint you. Only one love that cannot change, that cannot be lost, that is not based on the ups and downs of life or how well you live your life. Not even death can change it. And that's God's love. God is unchangeable and so is his love for us. And what comes through the book of Philippians so clearly is that Paul had learnt to love God supremely. Jesus was the treasure that he had in his life. And for us, we love lots of things. And it's not wrong to do that. The problem lies when we love God too little in proportion to other people and other things. And when we're aware that this happens, then we need to reorder the loves in our life. When God is the thing we love most, when we've learnt to delight in him more than other things, then knowing this unchangeable love, his unchangeable promises, gives us strength to face even the most difficult of circumstances. Now I know that in my life I often get to that point of thinking, I I, I know that I love God, but I know I need to love him more. I know that I need him to to be that more important in my life. And uh, for me, it's not just the knowing that I need to do it, but it's it's knowing how do I do it. Because we can't just tell ourselves that we need to love God more. But what we need to do is we need to find God more lovely. When you fall in love with someone, it's because you find them lovely, you find them attractive. So how do we love Jesus more? We make a conscious decision to get to know him, to ponder his works, to know the things that he says, to understand his character. Because the more we see him for who he is, the more we discover how lovely he is, how precious he is. That song that we sang at the end, to to know that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We know that when we look at Jesus and we, we get to see what he's like. And we need to keep on looking at Jesus until that love that we have for him grows and grows. Because the more we see him and the more we understand what he's done for us, the more we love him back in return. The secret of contentment comes through discovering that Jesus is our greatest treasure. Jesus' love is so reckless, so overwhelming, so great, so powerful. And when we know that, his, his love will strengthen us, his power will strengthen us and enable us to face any and every circumstance through his strength. It's the depth of our relationship that brings contentment. So what we're going to do, in a moment we're going to sing and that's going to be our way of responding. But before that, I want to ask you the question, where does your contentment come from? 
What are the circumstances that you are facing now where you need to know that Jesus is enough? Are you looking for happiness in something you haven't got or putting your hope in something other than God? Because it's only God that's going to, where you're going to find that true contentment. And maybe you know that you know, need to reorder the things you love in your life. Or maybe you're here and you've never really considered God at all. In fact, you wouldn't even say, I need to reorder my love. I just, you don't know God. You've never even experienced God. And if that's you, then I'd encourage you to, to find out more about Jesus to understand him, to get to know him, to understand who this Jesus is and see him for who he really is.